I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Introducing Barker and Stonehouse Garden Furniture. Find inspiration for your outdoor space with our stylish collections of garden furniture and accessories, now with up to 25% off. Visit one of our 11 nationwide stores or find us online at barkerandstonehouse.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. My name is James Alexander Sinclair and I'm going to be with you the whole way through. This is the RHS Cardiff Flower Show. It is in Wales. It is the first show of the year. The weather is cold but sunny and gorgeous and going to get better and better throughout the day. There are gardens, there are exhibits, there is food, and most importantly, there are an awful lot of plants of every sort because this is the time when we all wake up, look outside and think, oh my goodness, we need something to put in the garden. So Cardiff is the place to come. What is lovely about the Cardiff show is it has a very definite Welshness to it. So I'm looking forward to having a look at the green lady from Caerphilly garden which is done by the Bridge End College and also by a special show feature that has been designed and built by the National Botanic Garden of Wales. So let me take you by the hand and let's go for a wander around the show. Hello I'm Ron Scamp, a daffodil grower from Cornwall. We started the business more than myself literally 29 years ago um, I'd already been breeding and showing and growing daffodils as, a, as an amateur for at least another 10, 15 years before that. And um, we, we took the decision to make a business of it. Today, we are growing nearly 2,500 different varieties and we're supplying to customers literally all over Europe. Well, on display here today, we've got in our walkaway depicting the master grower we have a wide range of daffodils uh, some scented ones multi-head ones there's even some which have been recently named and that is just depicting them they're growing in containers and showing them as though they're growing in a natural um, environment as you walk through the display um, you will see right at the head of it a major display of about 170 vases each vase will be different what more can I say about that except that you can't get to the flowers because of all the people? Daffodils has been a passion with me all my life. It's a good harbinger of spring. We have daffodils early in January, sometimes even before Christmas. Uh, early in January, we have them right the way through to middle of May. It's just a nice cheerful thing to be amongst. 
If you can imagine sitting in a dull, dreary day and you've got daffodils in the garden or even daffodils in a vase uh, to decorate your home, couldn't be nicer. As far as I'm concerned, it couldn't be nice. You buy a bunch of daffodils, you take them home and you've got a smile on your face. You look at daffodils and you always have a smile on your face. You know, I'm not going to quote Wordsworth because I'm bound to get it wrong, but he had it dead right. And all of a sudden I saw a host of golden daffodils dancing in the breeze. Couldn't be better, could it, really? My name is Caris Evans and I'm the Communications Officer at the Wildlife Trust of South and West Wales. We are stood in a giant nest. <laughs> Bird numbers have declined a lot in Britain. There's a few reasons for that. One is climate change. Another is just loss of habitat due to overbuilding or roads, that type of thing. So they're just losing their habitat. So we really want people to do things in their garden so that they've got somewhere that they can live. Even if it's something small, like putting bird feeders out, making sure that the water's always clean, providing lots of different food for them, whether it's mealworms, seeds, anything. Yeah, so give them somewhere to live. And so you can put a bird box in your garden or whether you want to do something big and plant a tree. That would be great too. So I'm Mark Matthews. Um, I'm a trainee horticulturalist at the National Botanic Garden of Wales with the Professional Gardener's Guild traineeship. Okay, so I'm stood in front of Garthless. You enter the garden on a gravel path and you go through a, I'd say about seven foot arch and you head forwards through into the garden. On your left hand side, there's a secluded seating area in front of a solid log wall with a clean face. Behind the log wall, you'll find moss, polypodium ferns and some shuttercock ferns behind with some more woodland plants. You've got some birch behind there, some polygonatum, some hostas, um, and a few other different types of plants. As you bear around to the right, you'll see a second secluded seating area, which cannot be seen from the first seating area, hence you get a bit of privacy. And the second bench is actually surrounded by an exocorda that not only provides you with a bit of shade and a bit of feeling of being secluded, but it also is covered in flowers at the moment, which is beautiful. And both of the benches point towards our main feature bed, which has a, a variety of plants from a woodland setting. And then we've got a nice surrounding of trees, which make the garden feel more secluded. Yeah, and then you exit through the garden, you go around another curve and back out through a second arch to match the original arch and you're back out into the, the show. So the purpose of the garden is, it's a health and well-being garden. So we're trying to get people to feel relaxed, stress-free, safe. Um, the garden is actually going to have a second life because it's going to be transferred to Morrison Hospital in Swansea where it'll be used by visitors, patients and um, the staff as well actually. It's important for them to have somewhere to sit and be calm and they must have such a hectic job, feel so stressed. And One of my friends is um, a doctor at Cardiff University uh, Hospital so um, yeah, I, I know it's a full-on job so it'd be nice for somewhere to sit down and relax. Yeah, I suppose you're going to feel drawn and have a connection with the bits that you're most involved in. So I was quite involved with the 
construction of the log wall behind one of the seating areas. And I actually really enjoyed getting bits of moss um, after it had been built, um, getting bits of moss and some polypodium ferns and shoving them in the gaps on the backside. We've got a nice clean front, but the backside is all planted up. And I really enjoyed doing the backside of it with all the ferns. It's, it just makes me feel really happy. My name's Anthony Davis and uh, I'm one of the HND students of Bridgend College uh, who is constructing the Green Lady of Caffili Castle. The Green Lady who is a ghost called Princess Alice and uh, she haunts the Caffili Castle because her husband Gilbert de Clare conspired to murder so then she collapsed dead then because he killed her like lover so then she decided to haunt him then and that's why it's believed the story that she haunts the castle. They reckon people have seen her, like, within Caffili. They reckon she was beneath the moat and she used to come out to haunt people there. Never know, some myths have come true, haven't they? She's a ghostly figure who's <laughs> <It was> scary. <laughs> So we're standing by the Green Lady of Caffili now. So we've used like mainly moss for her sort of body and face and then different conifers like for all throughout her dress and skirt. So mainly like thuyas and uh, capressus to get all the different colours throughout. And then in her like chest that's um, Taxus Picard which is like a U just to give that like sort of frilly effect. Yeah and then we used like different acorns then to sort of give like a belt effect and like a necklace. And then we used a different variety of ivy and then tracheospernum through the train. And then we dotted out the chlorophytums then throughout the train just to give that like sort of wave effect as you go through. In the end, this came out well, like, because we never know what it was going to look like. And the castle is the leaning tower of Caffili, which is like quite an iconic part of a castle because it leans more than the leaning tower of Pisa. Because the leaning tower of Pisa is seven inch lean, whereas the cleaner tower of Caffili Castle is 14 inches. So that's quite like an iconic piece. So then we like had a train going round as if like it was like sort of a ghostly figure sort of fading away like as she swooped around. Yeah, that was like the main sort of feel of the garden. I think she's gorgeous like. <laughs> A first for the RHS Gardening Podcast as we're going to be answering the gardening questions of visitors here at the RHS Cardiff Flower Show. So without further ado, we're going to enter this rather wonderful tent and join our panel on stage. So what I have is I have a panel here. We have John Wheatley, who is a very old friend of almost everybody. When I say old, I mean that in many ways. John Wheatley is an RHS council member and a member of the Tender Ornamental Committee and many, many other things, and is, is deeply distinguished, although a bit short in the hair department. Then we have Jane, J Jane Lindsay from Twinings Nursery, who, who, who Twinings, and in, in two ways, Twinings and Climbings all go together. And then we have Rob Evans from Pheasantacre, who also grows pretty much anything at all. So what I have here is I have three people who know everything about everything. So who would like to ask the first question? Who has something burning in their garden? Not literally burning in their garden. Some burning question about their garden that they want answered. Chrissy. This is Chrissy, who is a, an RHS volunteer and all sorts of things and is always at shows and also has the most remarkable nails. I live in a flat in Merthyr Tydfil and we've got a, I'm in a shared garden at the moment. So um, I want to know what can I grow with the children and make it a more community-feeling garden. We've got a bike shed, 
and we've got barrels. So, so you have a shared garden, you want to make it more of a community garden, and she has a bike shed and barrels. A bike shed and barrels is obviously a very good place to start. Presumably you want to, to, to grow something to... How about... Do you, is it a pretty bike shed? Not really. Therefore, wouldn't it be a good idea to climb something over the bike shed? Should we start there? Passion flowers, clematis. It's a good one for children on the climbers because they all need pruning at different stages. They learn an awful lot. Or you could go for some of the fruit in passion flowers and adds a different aspect to it. But there's all sorts you could try. Okay. John? Lots of passion behind the bike shed, by the sound of it, Jane. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> do you know, it's lovely to meet you, because I think it's one of the loveliest things about horticulture nowadays is community horticulture, and it's smashing to know that you're getting young people involved in growing, because that's what the industry needs. So you could plant anything. Now, I think it's good fun to grow some vegetables as well, I think vegetables are really back in fashion. But uh, simple things like the old runner beans and things like that, I'm a great believer of. And grow simple things to start with. Community gardening is really on the up. And you see some of the things that you do over here in Wales, it's, it's like it used to be growing in the UK. You've got some of the best growers in the world around here. One of them is here, much as us two don't really accept. Um, but... Okay, hope well, that helps. Well, if, he, if he's that good, we better hear from him. What have you got to contribute? Very Welsh English uh, participation at the shows. Uh, we could also look at sweet peas could go in the barrels. They're nice and easy. You can start them off in the autumn as an early flower in them. So you'll get the sweet peas starting to flower June, July. And uh, say, if you've got children there, that's the time when you know the summer school holidays are just starting. And that's when, if you can get their interest then to come back and see things that are there then they'll come back and forth. And then during the autumn and winter time, September when they're starting back to schools and things, you can start off with daffodils and tulips. You know, things that go in the ground that they'll come back very quickly and they'll see flower the following year. What you tend to find is when they're doing educational classes and things, we start to put plants in and what we don't get is they don't see the final thing. They're in flower July and August when they're off school. So by planting things during the off-peak, so October, November time, they'll flower the following year, just before they've finished for the school holidays. Okay, so lots of ideas for that. Let's go on to a second question. Where are we going? Anybody over here? Yes. Hello, my name is Ruth Evans, and I originally come from Merthyr as well, um, but I now live in Cardiff. And I first came to this flower show three years ago when I bought six little chamomile lawn plants. I think it's called chamomile tread needle, yes? And um, from that, I've been trying to propagate them to build up um, a little chamomile lawn. And it's worked very well. But the original plants now that I put in have started to become a bit leggy. Now, they might green up in the, you know, the next couple of months. But the ones that are newer are bushing out and looking very nice. But the older ones are looking a bit scrappy and leggy, and I'm not quite sure how to maintain the lawn. There's plenty of advice online about how to start it, but not how to maintain it. I shall put the question to somebody who's also getting scraggier as he gets older, <laughs> uh, which, yeah. is, which is John Wheatley. They are very difficult to get effective, but in some respects you've answered your own question. The cuttings that you've taken, and they will root quite easily, 
you need to keep them going each year. My neighbour has a chamomile lawn, and it's very, very labour-intensive. It's really worth having it in a small area, because if you do tread on it, you get the wonderful scent, and it's something very special about it. It's real connoisseur's gardening. I suspect James has got lots of them. And uh, what you tend to do is to take little cuttings quite regularly. That's just coming into growth now, but don't have any of that woody bit at the end. Just as it's going hard, slightly hard, but if you put that long, drawn-out, straggly bit of last year's wood, it won't root as effectively. And then keep a, a regeneration of it going. Lots and lots of little cuttings. I think the other thing to do with the chamomile lawn is one of those things that you really got to work hard on weeding. Don't let any grass get in amongst it. It's very important. The other thing to remember is, is this, this issue about is it likes Mediterranean-type conditions. It doesn't like to be too wet. It likes well-drained conditions. And I think it will really work for you. And the, the only thing I'd add is a tiny bit of fleece while those cuttings are just rooting. Okay, uh, I'm going to come over this side. Is anybody got a question over this side? Yes, madam. What is your name and where do you come from? I'm Jill Baxter and I come from Pembrokeshire. Now, my question is, I have an abutilon which has been growing fine outside for three, four years now. It flowers continually. I think probably... January is the only time it didn't have flowers on. It's very straggly, very tall and straggly, and I want to prune it back, but when do I do this? I think with the butylons, really, once a year, they benefit from a hard prune anyway. I don't take it right back. If it's gone that straggly, do it in stages. Okay, it's about seven, eight foot tall. What I would probably say, it's been so mild this winter, with very few frosts, is be careful not to overdo it. So do it half at a time. Prune the first half back. When that starts to reshoot, then prune the remaining half back. Okay. If you do it very hard straight away this time of year, the plant goes very dormant, and with a frost or with an extraordinary amount of rain, it can really affect it. So do it half at a time. You should find then. But each year, do give it a good prune, okay, because once they that. go straggly, it's a devil of a job to get them back. Yeah. I like plants where you get a lot of value for the effort that you put into them. Um, and I just wondered what your sort of good, your favourite good doers would be. Now, obviously, dahlias are one of the best things that you can grow. Um, the amount of flower that they'll give you throughout the summer season. Uh, starting off a tuber at this time of year, you can plant directly into the garden now. Just prepare the ground underneath where you're planting it. So digging out three or four inches deep putting in some compost into the base of the ground and then bedding your dahlia tuber into it, covering over about two to three inches. Now, in a matter of a fortnight to three weeks, you should start to see with the warmer weather coming in. Now, the dahlias planted into the garden, they'll start growing fairly quickly. And as long as we get in natural weather conditions over the next month to six weeks, you'll find that, you know, by the middle of May, you'll have shoots coming up through the ground two or three inches in height. Then you need to watch the slugs. But after that, your flowers will start from about the middle of July up until first frost, which can be, well, last year we still had dahlias in flower, the end of November, early December. Jane, have you got something? As a climbing plant, I would go for Tracleus spurnum. It's a very good doer, it's evergreen, it's scented and it's hardy, it ticks all the boxes. My favourite plant is Sweet William. 
a dianthus, because we do an awful lot, is cut flower. And they're fantastic value for money. Late April, May into June, they will self-seed, and the scent on them is delightful. Absolutely beautiful. John? Done dahlias, but you can't now because he did it. But uh, I was hoping he was going to do leeks and daffodils, <laughs> um, which he should have done. But um, no, um, the there's a plant that I think has got a great future, and with global warming, it's getting much warmer up in areas like this. You can grow it, and those are the agapanthus. They're a wonderful range of agapanthus about nowadays, and they really are almost bomb-proof. Um, and I think if you get agapanthus and blend it with that beautiful verbena bonariensis, you get the two different colours above each other. But there's so many plants now that are so fantastic. I would have said agapanthus is good value for money. And if you go to places like New Zealand and you see it being used as a substitute for grass, the Peter Pan and the streamliner types are the ones to get. Uh, right, where am I heading to now? Marlene Baker, and I'm from Bristol. And I've got a bougainvillea which flowered initially for the first two or three years. And since then, it hasn't flowered at all. It grows vigorously, lovely leaves and um, uh, trailings, but it doesn't produce any flowers. Should I get rid of it and replace it with a new plant? No, 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 there's no need to get rid of it. Is it pot grown? Yes. And what size pot have you got it in, or have you potted it on? It's 12 by 12, and it's about two foot six tall. Any of the conservatory climbers or bougainvilleas, it's very important not to overpot them. Are you feeding it? Probably not enough. No, I was going to say it's probably best just to throw the feed away for a couple of years, because that's what's encouraging the lush foliage and not giving you the flowers. Bougainvilleas, a lot of people think they need extraordinary amounts of heat but they will actually come through in a cold greenhouse or cold conservatory quite happily. But that root must be tight for the winter. Probably if you, if you put it into too large a pot, there's a lot of fresh compost in there, but it will already have a lot of feed in it. So as you're watering through the winter months, it's still trying to grow, giving you lots of lush, but it's not putting on any root growth. What you must concentrate on in the first place is to get that root established in the pot. They're not greedy feeders. Generally, with anything tropical, just look at where they come from naturally in the wilds. They're not looked after. They're in poor soils. And you really have to recreate those conditions. And it should be back to flowering for about eight, nine months of the year. So harden it up. Thank you. Should I prune it now? You can trim it up. Be very careful if the foliage is very lush on it just trim it lightly i would probably wait a couple of weeks before you do that my name is barbara i'm from cardiff just outside of cardiff um i have bought a edgeworthia chrysantha about 10 years ago it is still a stick with two leaves on the top a friend bought one at the They're same time. Well, a friend bought one at the same time, who I see regularly, and she informs me that hers is wonderful. Um, but hers is in a pot. I actually planted mine. So can I dig it up and thrash it or something? They hate when, disturbance, well, hang on, don't just they, one Jane? second. When, when you say she informs you that hers is doing well, do you know that? Or is she, okay, that's fine. That's all right. Yes, Edgeworthias. Well, it's a fabulous plant. It's a bit like, do you know Daphne? Now, Edgeworthy is a sort of creamy plant which produces the flowers at the end of the shoots 
with when there are no leaves on it. And allegedly, yeah. Well, it's always a good idea, and we're all in nursery business. When you buy it, remember where you buy it from, keep the label, put it on your iPhone, and then take it back to the nursery, and they should give you a new one if it doesn't grow, as long as you water it properly. Um, the best one I know is, is where Jane trained and I trained at Cannington College, and, and it's, it, they hate disturbance. They're like Daphnes. If you've got Daphne Loreola or Miserium, once you plant them, leave them alone. Don't overwater them, don't overfeed them. But the truth is that some just don't do. And, and really, disturbance is a big problem. Um, I, I don't know. I would say that when you look at them, and they, they're produced in mass produced in Holland, aren't they? And I, I bet more than half of them die. It's, just, it's a bit of luck, this one. Do you agree, Rob? They like heavier soil as well, which is one thing that they like. So if you haven't got heavy soil, they need to be in a, a quite a, a loamy soil. Uh, my name's Jenny, I'm from Swansea. I've inherited some quite large trees in pots from my parents, uh, including a couple of aces. And they do come every year, but I'm aware that they're now just, they're in very large pots, they're very root bound, I think. I feel I'm being intensely cruel to them by keeping them in these pots, but I don't quite know how to feed them, what to do with them to ensure that they can stay healthy simply because they've been in the pots for so long. I mean, are they okay in them? Are they Acer palmatums? Or Acer palmatums. They're they some, are yeah, they're, they're some are small, but some I've got the small beech trees as well. Some of the trees, I mean, it, they're in very large pots. They're very hard to move, um, but I don't know how to feed them to make sure that they're getting the right nutrients. Right, you can buy... Um, Osmocote tablets, which are great feed for any plants that's in shrubs or anything that you've got in containers, mm. because you can place these in in the spring and they'll feed the plant for six months. So, and what it is, is a slow release. So they're all time capsules. So each, every time there's water given to the plant, one of these coats will come off the, the pellet and will activate the feed coming out. So even if there's not a lot of soil necessarily in there because it's packed full of roots as far as i can see right but the sound of it they should be really potted on if you've got yeah. or planted into the garden okay all right but are you losing growth on them are they losing color or no, they just the only one that's not doing well is that there's a fatinia in a pot a standard fatinia and it's looking very sad and hardly any leaves on it so John, I don't know if you're with, with fatinias, but I think they need to be trimmed regularly as uh, standards in pots. Fatinia do, yeah. Yes. You can prune them back hard. Going back to your aces, yeah. yeah um, I've, I'm preparing mine for a Chelsea exhibit now, and I'll tell you what I've done. They're just coming into bud, and I've just potted them up. And remember with, with aces, and I often think this is sad with tree ferns. It's a hobby horse of mine. We all buy tree ferns, and we put them in the sunniest of positions. Do they grow in sunny positions in naturally? Answer is no. Aces, and I learned this when I got stuck in a lift with seven Korean airline hostesses. And we we had to have we had to have some discussions. Well, what was on my mind wasn't aces. But um, to be quite frank, remember this story because there's a lot of logic in what somebody said earlier on. Right plant, right place, find out where it comes from. Aces love subshade think western bird they like a moist soil and give them that and they'll work for you and they will grow really well the other thing with aces is if they've got little bits of dead wood prune it off and don't be scared to do that if you went around with a 
dead quarter finger, you wouldn't be happy going around. Always think of that with aces. Trim it back. And bear in mind the buds are opposite, so always do a straight cut rather than a slanting cut. It'll really work for you. Have confidence. Okay, thank you. Did you want to keep them in the pots that they're in? Um, if possible, because I have a very small garden, so it would be quite hard to, to put them anywhere else, I think. Although if they don't grow... I suppose I could find somewhere for them. but If not you can, I don't know how large the pot is, but if you can take it out of the pot yeah. and maybe just shave some of the bottom of the root off and then just put some fresh compost in, but you must have some John in his number three in with it. Okay. With a bit of multi-purpose potting compost. And that's what they used to do years ago in Victorian times. You want to keep the plant in that pot. Either Probably with aces, it would be better to shave a bit off the side rather than taking it off of the bottom. But that would just give it enough feed. Great, thank you. You've got quite a hard afternoon ahead of you. We've just taken on a new garden and had some trees stomp ground out. We have a mountain of stomp grindings. What can we do with it? Do we burn it or do we compost it or do we put it on the bed somewhere or what? Okay, anybody want to buy some stump grindings? Uh, yes. The first thing to do is to leave it rot down for a couple of years. Don't put it onto the garden immediately because it's going to take nitrogen to break down from the soil. So the best thing to do would be to put it in an area where you're not going to use, keep it there for a while until it starts breaking down turning it over on a regular basis because what you tend to find is the wood chip than everything now you tend to find there's lots of large pieces of wood in the wood chip and that's what take to for that to break down to be good in the garden you need it to be fine before it's going into the soil but on your case what i would do is have an area where you can leave it break down for maybe two or three years but just keep turning it so the heat in the summer and just keep turning it so the heat builds back up again. That'll break down. The worms will start getting through it as well. They'll help to break it down. Okay, there we go. That was simple and straightforward. And I'm afraid just that... Just one yes. word of warning, right? Yours are probably healthy trees. Anyone beware of taking wood chips from trees that have been stump gobbled that you don't know where it's come from because if it's got armillaria or any of the other butt rot funguses then you can import it into your garden as long as it's healthy trees then reuse it but always try and find out where it comes from perfect okay i think that i'm afraid that we have reached the end of our allotted span um i would like very much to thank my attractive delightful delicious knowledgeable all that kind of stuff panel thank you very much indeed thank you james Thank you, John. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Rob. I would like to thank you lot for being part of a global phenomenon, which is the RHS podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, in the meantime, from my panel, from here, from Cardiff, from the RHS podcast, thank you very much. Have a wonderful afternoon. So I'm afraid that is all we've got time for from Cardiff today. You can find links to more information about all the problems and topics discussed on our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. And you can also listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast on there too. Plenty to keep you entertained in the potting shed this summer. So until next time, from me, James Alexander Sinclair, the panel and the audience here in Wales, goodbye.
walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.